Initiating startup sequence. Martian ambassador is going to say a few words. Party people, party people, I'm an alien from outer space. Dacha, citizens of the universe. Welcome to Other Planes of There, the Afrofuturism podcast. My name is Tobias C. Van Veen, and today I am pleased to be here with none other than Yatasha Womack, author, filmmaker, dancer, and innovator. Her book, Afrofuturism, The World of Black Sci-Fi and Fantasy, explores black sci-fi culture, black comics, and the legacy of futurism. She is also the author of the critically acclaimed Post-Black, How a New Generation is Redefining African-American Identity, and the black science fiction series Ryla 2212. She is also the co-editor of the hip-hop anthology Beats, Rhymes, and Life, What We Love and Hate About Hip-Hop. Her films include Love Shorts as writer and producer and The Engagement as director. Her film Bar Star City, in which she is director and writer, goes into production this spring. Natasha is a graduate of Clark Atlanta University and studied media management at Columbia College in Chicago. She resides in the Windy City. Yatasha, it's a pleasure to have you here on the Afrofuturism podcast. Thank and, you. No, you're, you're very welcome. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit how you first heard about and got interested in Afrofuturism. Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, I was first introduced to Afrofuturism and the concepts when I was at Clark Atlanta University. I was a freshman and I, you know, was I write about this in my Afrofuturism book where you know, I had a, a friend of mine who was talking about uh, Parliament Funkadelic, and he's talking about quantum physics, and he's talking about um, technologies uh, in the ancient world and the contributions that people of African descent have made to science. And then he started talking about science fiction. Why don't we see more people of African descent in sci-fi films? And, um, you know, I was really asking him, you know, what is your foundation? What is your basis for this? And he didn't have a name for what he was talking about. But uh, more recently, I learned that that name was Afrofuturism. And when I was a student at Clark Atlanta, many people were very much engaged in Afrofuturist concepts and ideas, whether they were theorizing about it or uh, just experiencing it through music and poetry and art and dance. So uh, I was very much immersed in Afrofuturism, not knowing it was called Afrofuturism. Huh, that's interesting. So you were immersed in Afrofuturism before anyone quite had a name for it yet, even though the framework and the study of these kinds of black speculative production existed. I gather part of that is what led you to write post-black in exploring other modes of black identity. Can you tell me a little bit about the book post-black and how this led you to write a book on Afrofuturism? Well, I guess, you know, in in post-black, I was really wrestling with these notions of identity and kind of concepts around a limitation around what black identity was. And so in post-black, I, I talked about 
just nuanced shifts in Gen X and Gen Y that kind of spoke to larger changes in the culture and ultimately, I would say, the world. And after I wrote that book, uh, I stumbled across the, the whole term Afrofuturism itself and very much wanted to explore that concept because I saw that there wasn't I didn't see any books really bridging a lot of the ideas in Afrofuturism. And ultimately, it seemed like another extension of identity um, that, and I would say that process of writing post-Black probably led me uh, subconsciously in some ways to to the notion of Afrofuturism as Afrofuturism, of course. I also happen to know that you're into Chicago house music. Very much so. Proud of it. <laughs> a lot of Chicago house artists are seen as Afrofuturists, especially those that incorporate uh, acid tracks and the use of the Roland uh, TB303 to create very alien soundscapes within house music. Right. Would you say that house music in a way unconsciously abducted you into the alien world of Afrofuturism before you had that kind of name for it yet? You know, it's funny you say that um, because I always reference Clark Atlanta because that's where the gestation of a lot of the ideas began for me, right? Um, but as far as experiencing Afrofuturism, uh, it very much came through my relationship to dance and house music in the house culture, where uh, dance music was, you know, it was all about freestyle, right? And it was freestyle and the rhythms and the beats were almost ones that were about kind of freeing yourself um, pushing beyond limitations, uh, body limitations. You could incorporate modern dance. You can incorporate African dance. You can do, you know, various hip hop moves. You can mash them all up and do them and perform them on the dance floor. And it was a non-issue. Not to mention, you know, house music was very much about like dancing for eight, nine, 10, 15 hours if you could, right? So now we're getting into this kind of transcendental relationship to dance. And in Chicago, uh, or for house music fans, it's very, very common. So, yes, uh, I was very much engaged in Afrofuturism through dance, uh, dance and metaphysics, which I, I mention a lot, too, when I, I write about Afrofuturism. So that really primed me. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to Clark that I saw there was a relationship between my experience of house music and this freeform style of dance and some of these theories of expression. And I saw this fusion between kind of the, the philosophical aspects of Afrofuturism and the visionary aspects of it and the experiential piece. So yeah, house music did it all day long. And when I'm introducing uh, concepts around Afrofuturism to people, you know, especially if I'm in Chicago, there's, I can talk about George Clinton, I can talk about Sun Ra, but I can I always reference house music and just talk about that experience as a, a way of connecting to it. And, and people know exactly what I'm talking about. You also mentioned the metaphysics of Afrofuturism. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could speak to the kind of uh, theosophical and religious community that Chicago has. When we spoke together in Montreal, Back in 2014 at the HTML's festival, you were speaking a little bit about the New Thought Church and your participation in it, as well as its influence on Sun Ra. Well, it was the the philosophy is called New Thought, and um, people who 
who kind of follow, um, I guess, philosophies of sorts would be kind of familiar with it. You know, it emerged in the, around the 1850s and ultimately it kind of became encased around uh, Christianity in some sense. Um, a lot of it was viewed in some respects as a feminist movement um, because you had a lot of empowered women in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, moving through the, the 20th century who really took to the philosophy. But at the end of the day, I always compare it to the ideas in the book, The Secret, right? Where they talk about positive thinking, um, you know, positive reinforcement, uh, visioning, and there's a whole thought process behind it. Uh, while for Waldo Emerson is very much um, viewed in the concept of, of new the new thought philosophy, you know, as are, are countless others. And uh, the the church that I grew up in was a taught the new thought philosophy. Uh, it was uh, the the name of the entity was Christ Universal Temple. Uh, it was founded by Johnny Coleman, who was the graduates, one of the first black graduates of one of the the major uh, new thought schools, uh, the Unity School here in the U.S. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I came up through that philosophy and being that it was uh, that philosophy and a lot of other kind of metaphysical offshoots or, or variations uh, were very common here in the Chicago area. I mean, that particular church was a mega church and had affiliate churches, but even beyond that, you had other schools of thought that were uh, affiliated, you know, theosophical schools of thought, um, people who were following a host of kind of metaphysical traditions, and even for people who didn't necessarily study those formally, it was a part of the conversation, um, especially for me kind of growing up. So so that for me proved to be very influential, at least with respect to talking about Afrofuturism, because the idea of the imagination uh, was so important. And, you know, I always, I value Afrofuturism because to me, it champions the use of the imagination to transform your circumstance. Um, and Sun Ra was very much a person who uh, came across a lot of metaphysics um, in, in the midst of the other writings that or, that he was immersed in. Um, you, when I looked at his the, a lot of the things that he said, I saw a relationship to the New Thought philosophy. Uh, and it was, you know, when I researched him, I said, oh, okay, he read a lot of the, the books that are part of that canon. So, so yes, it's, that was, that's a big part of the, the community tradition here. I am very curious uh, what you think Afrofuturism has come to mean today. We all know the term was coined in the early 1990s uh, to kind of theorize or conceptualize over a century of black speculative and science fictional arts across the diaspora. But something has happened, I'd say, over the past couple of years where Afrofuturism has been taken up as a kind of banner, as a rallying cry for new social movements and new black speculative arts. People are now owning the term. And I'm curious as to how you see Afrofuturism operating today and where you see it going. Uh, well, I always define Afrofuturism as a way of looking at possible futures or alternate realities through a black cultural lens. Uh, it's very much an intersection between black culture the imagination, liberation, technology, and mysticism. And so uh, for me, that definition very much engages the arts, 
it engages philosophy, but then it also engages the whole idea of looking to the imagination to, again, uh, reimagine other futures, other stories, other narratives, uh, to claim stories of the past and to uh, very much claim a new identity or, or other sorts of stories uh, moving into the future. So uh, there are other frameworks that are very much coming out of these concepts, but I, I think it's just all, I think that the nature of the times and the nature of the technology that we're working with lends itself to maybe some of these shifts you've seen and and how we're talking about Afrofuturism. It seems that there is a connection being drawn between Afrofuturism and contemporary Black political movements, particularly Black Lives Matter. Do you see a connection between the radical imaginaries of Black speculative production and the forms of resistant Black politics that are emerging in the United States today? Well, I see the the forms of politics emerging out of the United States as a continuation, very much of, of politics that has been taking place before. So I guess in one sense, I don't see that as new. Um, I don't see, uh, yeah, I mean, so Black Lives Matter is an extension of civil rights movement and uh, Black power movement and, you know, all kinds of freedom-based movements. Uh, that are focused around just empowering people of African descent or more specifically in Black Lives Matter, um, you know, exploring police brutality. I mean, that's very much connected to the work that the Black Panthers were doing. So um, that in and of itself isn't necessarily new. What is new are that the times are different, the technologies to their disposal was different. And uh, the, the national consciousness is different. Um, than it was during some of those times. And as far as Afrofuturism is concerned, you know, Afrofuturism too is not necessarily new, but I, the, it's just the, the language that we're giving it uh, is new for different people and bridging these concepts for some people and hearing it articulated in a formalized way is new. So I, I guess I see it in, in many respects as a, a continuation of of identity, expression, and, and liberation. For our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about your science fictional world of 2212, The Book of Rayla, which uh, so far has manifested in a book and an animated short film. And I also understand that you cosplay the character of Rayla. Yes, well, it, it's interesting. It's very much evolved. Um, it was a I launched the first part of the, the story at the latter part of 2011, um, and I called it uh, 2212 Book of Rayla. I released it digitally. Uh, our character was tweeting, and people were really excited about it. We got a lot of downloads, and later I launched the entire book, Rayla 2212, at Chicago Comic-Con um, the following year, and I uh, cosplayed as the character. and. The story follows a woman named Rayla, whose last name is Elmatic, kind of in tribute to Nas. And she is a she's a, a war strategist on a, a planet called Planet Hope, uh, which is kind of she's third generation in. The planet is it's year 2212. Um, they are some 200 years removed from Earth. Uh, the planet was a former Earth colony and Rayla is part of this kind of rebel crew that is trying to restore the utopian values of this world. Uh, it was 
founded uh, with all kinds of hope and aspiration. Things kind of turned upside down, and she is charged with finding a group of missing astronauts who tried to travel using their mind. So it winds up being kind of a, 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 a time travel piece because she has to go and find these people. But it also gets into this whole concept of DNA memory or um, soul traveling, you know, because she's going into previous lifetimes to find these people. And um, she makes a pact. So there's a love triangle of sorts that she has to deal with. And it's, it's a story that people are really excited about. Um, I've been touring all over and, you know, there are quite a few Rayla fans who are really happy about the story. And I'm delighted to be able to launch the second incarnation, uh, 2212 Mermaid Marines, <laughs> this year as well, uh, which I'll also launch at the, the Chicago Comic-Con. Can you tell us a little bit about the Mermaid Marines? And without giving away any spoilers, please, I'm just very curious because out of Detroit, there is, or there was, uh, because one of the members has passed, the electro duo known as Drexia. Um, and they have a whole mythology of the underwater Drexians, uh, who are these um, aquatic mutant descendants of Africans who were thrown overboard during the Middle Passage. And they have built an underwater bubble metropolis and they are basically building up their forces uh, to reclaim North America from the powers of evil using uh, sonic weaponry. Personally, I just love how there's an aquatic Afrofuturism strain, and I'm curious if you're tapping into that kind of underwater mythology. Uh, yeah, well, I like the strain. I thought the Drexia story was really interesting, um, and it probably inspired me in some ways just to look at water as the backdrop for telling a story. And not that it pulls from the Drexia mythology at all, but just that whole notion of people underwater um, or depicting, you know, um, women of, of African descent or, or of a range of ethnicities as mermaids, you know, or mermen was just sort of, you know, fascinating imagery to me. Um, I always like swimming. I mean, that's kind of part of it. But there's, <laughs> there's something about water. I mean, I've had my own experiences going snorkeling and, and so forth. And there's something about being underwater where you felt like this is another world. You know, I am not a fish. I am not a shark. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on down here. But it lends itself to another level of mystery. But I especially found it interesting, without giving away a lot in the story, um, in terms of looking at water as a repository for emotions and feelings. And, you know, water uh, across many cultures universally symbolizes emotions and feelings and the subconscious. And I thought that was an interesting uh, narrative to sort of play with. But ultimately, you know, continuing on uh, in Rayla's journey, she um, she's back on Planet Hope. And it's, it's just the whole idea of trying to build a new world that she's wrestling with. And, and she's very much a woman who was trained for war. Right. And so now that you're in these spaces of peace, I mean, how do you how do you function in that? You know, how do you function in a space of peace? How do you function you know, when your your biggest responsibility are these procedural duties. <laughs> this whole government world building stuff. I don't know how interesting that is all the time for people who are, are kind of trained warriors, right? So 
So that becomes part of her her other identity quest. Um, and the water mix, without giving anything away, kind of comes starts to come into play. You are also working on a film called Bar Star City, uh, which takes yes. place in a Chicago bar uh, that is home to interplanetary visitors and traveling aliens, among other mm-hmm. denizens. Uh, <laughs> when can we expect to see this film released? And what can we expect to see in it? Well, we're working on the film furiously, so uh, it will probably be ready like about next year for everybody to see, or at least the later part of this year. And I have the the story follows um, again this bar that is a uh, an intersection of sorts for these characters. So I like to say it's Cheers meets Parliament Funkadelic meets Flying Lotus, and it. Um, it's sort of anchored by these two characters from opposite in, ends of time who decide to make the bar their home. And a lot of what seems like uh, normality uh, becomes uh, uniquely special and magical once this decision is made. So it's to me, it's kind of my ode to the sci-fi-isms in Chicago. <laughs> 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 That's how I define it. So is, is the bar kind of inclusive of the many sort of science fictional worlds and imaginaries that you see operating across Afrofuturism in a way? Is it, is it a, a meta bar? Well, you know, it's interesting. And I, I'd be curious to hear what people think about it um, because it's very unassuming. You know, the, the space is unassuming. So your first thought isn't, oh, I've walked into a galactic palace and vortex by far. Uh, But I think there's a lot of magic in the unassuming, and that's kind of what I'm playing with. Right on. Well, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, Yutasha, and good luck with your many and varied projects. Ah, I do want to say something, though. Please If you're curious about Bar Star City, you can read a lot of the prequels on the barstarcity.com website. So we have a series of prequel stories, and they'll be available in print shortly as well on the website. So you can download them as well (laughs) awesome we've been chatting with yutasha womack black science fiction author director and cosplayer you can check out her websites iafrofuturism.com and barstarcity.com 